<clears throat> my name is Daniel Grothy, and I'm happy to be here this morning. This is my third time preaching at New Life Downtown and um, feeling at home. Um, I, just as a little introduction, because many of you I don't know, I've um, been working at New Life for eight years. I'm married to a girl named Lisa, and we have three children. Lisa and I celebrate our eight-year anniversary next week, and we're very excited about that. And we're kind of in the stage now where we're talking, three kids, okay, is there another one? Um, Lord, uh, what do you have for us? What are you requiring of us? Can we be done? Um, so we're asking these questions, and I, I heard a comedian recently say, you know, like the four kids, he said, you want to know what it's like to have four kids? Okay. He said, picture yourself drowning out in the middle of the ocean, and then someone hands you a baby. Uh, um, so we're seeing if we want to do that, um, but we'll see. Here we are in the Sermon on the Mount, picking it back up this week, and I want to pray before we get started just briefly. Uh, so let's gather our hearts, let's kind of silence our minds and our thoughts and our cell phones and just kind of gather up before the Lord and before His Word. Spirit of God, if you don't speak to us this morning, we will have heard nothing. And so we ask you to let your voice thunder in our hearts today. We submit ourselves before your word and we say that your word, we, we believe that it's like a lamp to our feet. It's like a light to our path. And so would you illuminate our lives today? Would you, would you lay us bare before you, Spirit of God? We say, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and Redeemer. Amen. So, Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this now for nine weeks, and by way of recap, in Matthew 5, we find the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, it says in verse 1, he climbs a little hillside, and a crowd follows him, and then a smaller crowd presses in a little bit closer. These are the ones who are going to follow Jesus, presumably the ones who want to hear more. There's a crowd watching him do great stuff, but then there's this other group that is a bit more interested and they come to him and it says that Jesus says to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. For they're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn because they are the ones who are going to be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who have an ache in their belly for God to show up and to lead them and to speak to them because those are the ones that will be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers. Because they are going to be the ones who will be the children of God. They're going to show what it's like to live in God's house. They're peaceful. Blessed are those who, who just depend on God. And even when they're persecuted for righteousness' sake, even when people revile you and speak all kinds of evil against you, you're blessed. He's saying this is what the good life looks like. This word beatitude means blessed. And he's saying, I know it doesn't make sense with the world. I know it's an upside down definition, but my kingdom is an upside down kingdom. You don't understand it, but I'm here to teach you. I'm here to give you the kingdom. He's announced the kingdom, and this is what the blessed life looks like. And then he gives them their identity. In verse 13 of Matthew 5, he says, you are the salt 
of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltiness, how is it to be made salty again? It's not good for anything. It's to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And he says, you are like the light of the world, church. You, my people who have pressed in to find out what I'm about, you are the light of the world. You're the way that the world sees God. He says, you're like a city that's perched up on a hill that cannot be hidden. People from a long distance away are going to be able to see the light. He said, you don't light a candle and put it under a basket. You light it and you put it on the stand for the whole house to receive light. And he says, you are that light. So therefore, let your light so shine before everybody that they might see your good deeds and end up praising your Father who's in heaven. He gives us our identity as the church. But he doesn't stop there. He lets us know what his messianic mission is. He says, don't think, you've heard that it was said, you think that I'm here to break stride with what God has been doing with the people of Israel from Genesis to Malachi. I am not here to stop that story. I'm here to fill that story up. I'm here to give that story its fullest expression. I'm here to bring that story to a zenith. And he says, unless your righteousness in verse 20, exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will by no means have the kingdom. And people there that day were going, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, are you serious? The ones who draw a paycheck from doing everything right? The ones who have the 613 commands airtight and on lockdown? The ones who never miss a step? And you're saying, unless our righteousness goes past that, we won't have the kingdom? We don't have a chance. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm here to give you a deeper, truer righteousness. I'm here to give you a righteousness that is internal and blazing. A righteousness that's real, that that leads to an external and a convincing obedience. Because the Pharisees were convincing in their obedience, but they didn't necessarily have a righteousness that was blazing. Jesus castigated them and he said, you're like these beautiful golden chalices. You look lovely on the outside, but there's death on the inside. He says, you Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you're like whitewashed tombs. You go and the lawn is freshly cut at the graveyard and you put down flowers and there's a beautiful headstone and it all looks peaceful and serene and six feet under there is death. That is who you are, people who think that righteousness is just external. Jesus is calling them on the carpet. Then in verse 21, he talks about anger and he says, you've heard it said that just don't kill somebody. But I tell you, If you've got anger in your heart, it's just as bad. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And that rule is still good and it still stands. But I tell you, if you have lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. For Jesus, the desire is as good as the deed. So he comes to cleanse us from the inside out. He comes to make us a holy people. He gives us a righteousness that is blazing. In today's text that we read... He talks about revenge and loving your enemies. So today I want to put four things in front of you. I'm going to give you what I think is the issue at hand. The issue. Then I'll give you what I think Jesus' instruction is for this. Then I'll give you just a quick bit of bad news, but I won't stay there long. I'll end up with the good news. Okay, The issue, the instruction, the bad news, the good news. The the issue this morning is sort of a two-pronged diagnosis of our unregenerate humanity that I'm going to make. And I think it's safe. We can talk about it later if you disagree, that's fine. But I think, in general, this is what our humanity looks like on its worst day. The first thing that I want to suggest is that we hate weakness. We just 
cannot stand being vulnerable and being weak. You know, we hear things like, only the strong survive, kid. You know, this world was built by the strong. And we've got these power economies and power structures with power players. And it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Genesis 3 tells us the tale of the first family that could not stand playing second fiddle to God. We as humans from the very beginning have demonstrated that we hate weakness. I know that I do. The second thing that I want to suggest is that we love hatred. <gasps> oh my gosh, no, this, who is this guy? People are storming out of here. I don't love hatred. I, it's like Peter, you know, Jesus says, you're going to deny me through. Never, Lord, I would never d- do that. It's okay, Jesus knows us. We can be honest here today and take a look at this at the very beginning and just say that it's natural for me to want to hate and to win and to be above someone, to be recognized as the best. Jesus knows this about us and he identifies this about us. In Jesus' day, there was a debate that arose among the people and in Luke chapter 10 we have the story of a Jewish lawyer coming. He's an expert in the law. And he comes and he finds Jesus and he wants to know one thing, Jesus. What is the definition of neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Good teacher. And Jesus turns it on its head. You see, there was this group called the Qumran community and they were like this really ultra fundamentalist, pull themselves away from everyone kind of sect. And the Qumran community said, the only people that you have to love are the sons of light. And by the way, we have a corner on the market of the sons of light, and so you just love this little bitty circle right here. The sons of light, these are the only ones that you're responsible to love. But don't just stop there. You need to actively hate all of the sons of darkness. It's not okay to just love those who are like you, but you have to be on the offensive against those who are different than you. Hate the sons of darkness, they would say. But the Jews expanded that circle significantly. They said, no, not just the sons of light, but all of the Orthodox Jews who go to temple and read Torah, that's the circle that we're drawing. That is my neighbor. Anyone who calls on Yahweh and goes to temple. So they drew the circle a little bit bigger. But I think, I'm speculating here, but I think it's a decent speculation. I think maybe that guy that day who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Maybe he wanted to know who his neighbor was so that he could know who it was okay to be against. Show me who my family is so that I can know who is not my family. And I think that sometimes we love to do this. Who are you affiliated with? What what? How do you vote? What kind of money do you have? What kind of education do you have? And then we, we draw a circle that includes the people that we like to include. The issue is that we hate weakness and we love hatred. And Jesus, I think, gives us instruction based on that today. And I want to put it in front of you. He says at the very end of this chapter, Matthew five forty eight, Be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, this is something that we hear and we go, impossible. What, are, what kind of yoke are you putting on us? Are you trying to give us a life of misery that we'll never be able to accomplish this? Are you just a hard master, Jesus? 
be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have heard, you live in a world that tells you to get even. You live in a world that tells you to fight back. You live in a world that tells you it's okay to retaliate. You have every right to fight back. Jesus says this is the context that you live in, but I tell you it's a different story in my Father's kingdom, and I'm calling you to be perfect as my Father is perfect. He says love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. Be good to those who offend you. If someone wants you to go with them one mile, the royal soldiers in Rome could walk up to us. If they were here occupying Colorado Springs today, they could walk up to any of us and say, hey, you're going to carry my bag for a mile. And that's the law. So you get conscripted into the army against your will and you just got to go. And Jesus says, if someone does that to you, don't just go one. That's not enough. To be in my Father's kingdom, you have to have something going on in your heart that wants to serve them and demonstrate the love of the Father to them that you would actually go twice as far just to show them what God is like. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are the way that the world will see God. This word perfect here that Jesus uses is not what we think of in terms of perfect. Like I think... The Jews of that day might have heard all of the 613 laws, you have to make sure you check all of the boxes appropriately. You've got you to gotta have a, a perfect day every day. You're never going to mess up. If you want to be in the kingdom, you've got to never mess up. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you know those little bitty circles that you have drawn? Qumran community and Jews. You've got to draw a really big circle. A circle that excludes nobody. Your love has to be whole and total and complete and all-encompassing. You have to look at enemy and family the same way because you've been brought into the kingdom. You get to show the love of the Father to whoever you run into, no matter how they've treated you. Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Draw a really big circle. Jesus says, about God right before this. God is the one who causes His reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is the one who sends His sunshine on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And if you want to be His kids, you've got to love and be generous like our Father loves and is generous. Jesus, I think, was telling us not to get puffed up about doing just what we should. He says, hey, you're you're good at loving the people who love you? Well, good for you. You want a cookie? Like, everyone does that. The Gentiles, the tax collectors, like scoundrels love their mom because their mom is good to them. It'd be like, uh, you know, I told you we have three kids, like Lisa coming home, she's out for a couple hours and I've got the three kids and she comes home, how you doing, Daniel? Oh, I'm great. I I changed a wet diaper, babe. I just wanted to let you know, I changed... Thank, you're welcome. I changed a wet diaper. Isn't that pretty special? It's just what you do. Shut up. Like, or Monday mornings, our trash comes, and I go around the house and gather everything, take it to the curb, and what if I came back in the house and said, children, come, come hither. Um, I just want to let you know that your father uh, has taken out the trash yet again, and let's just give me a hand. And Jesus is saying, 
Of course you love those who love you. And of course you're kind to those who are kind to you. Everyone does that. But to be in the kingdom, it's a completely different story. The righteousness has to surpass just staying legal and keeping the rules and doing what every human being does. Let's take this deeper. Let me give you this inner righteousness that leads you to love your enemies. Unless we start asking God to make life good for the people who have spent their time making our lives miserable, Jesus says we don't know what it's like to be in the kingdom. Ouch. We know the issue is that we hate weakness and we love hatred. Jesus, on the other hand, comes to give us this instruction. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and you can because I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm making you to be able to do this. We show up now at the bad news. It's that we're not very good at this. And I think all of us know this. We're all aware of our own weakness. We all know that we fail at this. And that any attempt that we try to make in loving our enemies is just provisional and stopgap. It's not the full thing. Two steps forward, one step back, we might say. I've heard people say, and I've been this way myself, Man, I used to, I, I hated that person, but then I, I forgave and then I prayed for him and like went on with life and my heart was clean. And, and, but now the last few weeks I've just been laying in bed and this person has just been coming to my mind and I'm tossing and turning and I can't let them go. I hate them again. What's wrong with me? God, take this away from me. We know that we're not very good at this instruction that Jesus gives us to be perfect. But the question we have to ask today is what is Jesus trying to do? in this Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus giving us today? I think He's unleashing and bringing to bear God's eternal kingdom in the now so that we have the power. Increasingly, over a lifetime, we have the power to be free of this stuff. I had a friend come up to me a couple weeks ago after preaching a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, how do, how do I know that this is working? How do I know that it's true? Because most of the time I don't feel like it is. And I've played basketball with this guy before and he's competitive and I know that every once in a while he'll go off on someone and, and say a word that he regrets. And I said to my friend, 10 years ago, did you do that a lot more often than you do now? <laughs> he goes, I used to do that every time I played. He's like, now it's like twice a year. <laughs> okay, are, do you, are you learning to control your thoughts? Are you learning to lay down your life for your wife and children? Are you learning to be honest? Are you growing? And he says, I, I see what you're saying, that the Spirit of God is making us more and more holy as we go. Jesus is coming to give us a kingdom that is ruled by a generous and benevolent king. Jesus is coming to give us a kingdom where the strongest are the ones who give the most. Jesus is coming to show us a kingdom where the ones who find themselves at the back of the line actually get ushered to the front. The greatest among you will be the servant. The last shall be made first. This is a completely different kingdom. It's a kingdom where one's annual salary doesn't get you anywhere. And our world doesn't understand that. It's a kingdom where the compromised and the vulnerable among us get shielded and protected like these royal family kids campers. They get shielded and protected rather than thrown to the wolves. It's a completely different kingdom where offenses are forgiven and debts are written off. It's a kingdom 
whose currency is run by forgiveness and love, not by winning and grabbing and getting. I heard a story recently about an Iranian lady. Her name is Amina. And several years ago, Amina was going to college, studying, from all accounts, a hardworking gal, really smart. And this guy in her class recognized her and thought she was lovely, and he decided, because it's a patriarchal society, and he decided that he, he could just do this, I'm going to marry her. And so he goes to her and he says, well, you know, we, should, we might as well, you, you should marry me. Will, will you marry me? And she says, I'm not interested. Thank you, you know goes back to school. He comes to her again. Will you marry me? You should marry me. And I'm not interested. So he flies off in a rage and goes away and he makes plans and he sets it up and he gets her, he finds her in this place and he comes to her and he pours a bucket of acid on her face. And her skin melts down her entire face. She's blinded immediately. But if, as if that's not bad enough, her eyes close up because the skin just melts and covers her eyes. This beautiful girl, in one second her life is changed forever and her face is totally disfigured. Her arms are burned up. She is a mess because this guy was angry at her. In Iran, the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Just like our story here today that Jesus highlights for us. And so they got her, once they got her fixed up with, as well as they could, they sent her to leading surgeons all over the world and did skin grafts and tried to just put her back together as best they could. And once she was healthy again, they brought her back to Iran. And they set the day. National television is there. Her mother and her father and her brothers are standing with her, her friends. These people want this guy dead. And he's down on his knees, sitting right in front of her, And it's time for her to do the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a bucket of acid for a bucket of acid thing. And she takes the bucket of acid and they lead her up and she's, like I said, she's blind and she gets in place and she finds out where this guy is. I've seen the video. And she takes the bucket and she puts it down and she says, essentially, I will not perpetuate the madness. I will not do to you what you have done to me. I will not, you are forgiven. Your debts are paid. You can go in peace. And this guy crumbles to the floor, weeping. I should die. I should die. I'm so sorry. I've shamed my family. I've shamed you. Please. I should. And she says, We're done. It's taken care of. You are forgiven. Who does this? Jesus has called us to be a people like this. Or another story. Several years ago, you you guys have all heard the story of the Amish schoolhouse shooting. Where these girls were in there and the guy came in and ran out all the guys and locked the door and he killed five of their girls mercilessly. A 32-year-old truck driver. And they buried their girls. This beautiful community. I mean, if there's anyone who's peaceful among us, it's the Amish. And they come together and they take care of each other and they bury their five girls the next day. But the day after that is this killer's funeral. And the whole community comes together and they walk to this man's funeral. And they attend the funeral in peace and in quiet and they pray the prayers and they sing the songs. And after everyone funnels out, after the funeral is over, they go down to this woman, the the widow and his three children. And they say... 
essentially Scripture has told us to take care of the widows and the orphans and we are going to love you and bless you. And they give her a life insurance policy to take care of her and her kids because your husband and your father are gone. We love you in Jesus' name. Who does this? People that know something about Jesus do this. The people who are in the kingdom, who have this righteousness that is invading their hearts to the deepest places end up doing this over the course of a lifetime. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who is one of my favorite figures to study, said this. On on Christmas Eve, 1964, he preached a sermon on peace. And he says, I have seen too much hate to want to hate. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. And we will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. But be assured that we'll wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves We will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. Sounds a whole lot like Jesus to me. Jesus, the one who hung on a cross and looked down at us. He was naked, been spat upon, ripped his beard, Crown of thorns, nails in his hands and feet, spear in his side, 39 lashes on his back, bleeding out, suffocating. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Peter, St. Peter picks this up later. And he says that when Jesus suffered, he made no threats. He didn't go out in the streets and raise his voice and fight for his own rights. He didn't go out and say, you're all wrong, you're lying about me, I've got a clean record, I've never done anything wrong, I'm the Son of God. He didn't do that. said when he suffered, he made no threats, and instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the one who sees everything. He entrusted himself to the one who hears every cry late at night and who bottles up every tear. He entrusted himself to the one who keeps perfect account. And he calls us to be the congregation of people that do the same thing. Instead of going out and retaliating and fighting, instead of trying to defend ourselves, we say, I trust the one who judges justly. There's good news today. It's this. That Jesus is the one who empowers us to live this new life. Not only does He call us to it, He doesn't send us off to go try our best and give it our best shot and see if we can make it. See if we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He sends us off in the power of His Spirit. John 16, He said, It's better for you that I go away, for I will send another Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be God 
in you, not just God with you, Emmanuel, but God in you, the Spirit, so that you will be able to turn the other cheek and to pray for those who persecute you and bless those that despitefully use you so that you can do what Amina did and say it's all taken care of, so that you can be like the Amish community that says, we love you, we forgive you, all is clean. Gerhard Ford, a great Lutheran theologian, said this, Jesus is the one in whom God does God to us. I I love that. Jesus is the one in whom God does God to us. That God stamps this kind of righteousness and purity on the inside of us. That God stamps by His Spirit this grace to love and to forgive and to bless and to lay our lives down like Christ laid His life down for the church. People, it is possible to live like this. It is possible to lay in bed and pray for those who have persecuted us. It is possible to pray that God would bless the ones who have made our lives hard by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We are becoming that people. He has given us the kingdom. The one who hung on the cross and the one who called us to take up our cross is also the one who walks with us and makes this righteousness seep into the dry places of our lives. We are becoming this people. I have a couple questions that I want to ask us today as we come to our close. And it's this, does retaliation have to be an option for us as the people of God? Or will we let love have the last word Will we actively seek the good of the people who have made our lives hard? And are we willing to be humiliated temporarily to make space for the conquering power of God's love? Are we willing to give up our rights so that someone else might have to face the generous love of God the Father? And then this, have we insulated ourselves from selfish and scary and unruly people? Very often it's just easy to draw a circle and say, look, I'm not going to attack you, but I am going to protect with my people. Thank God Jesus didn't live like this because Jesus coming after selfish and scary and unruly people means that we're all sitting here today and we have had a life that has been handed to us. And what if it's that Jesus calls us to live this very same way so that others might be brought into the generous love of God the Father as they see us? Live this way. Who do we need to pray for this week? Who do we need to bless this week? Who do we need to call this week? I had a dinner a few weeks back with a friend who every time I thought about him for the last many months my heartbeat would start increasing and my blood would start racing and there was something that was going on. We hadn't, we hadn't necessarily had a violation, but there was some kind of funkiness between us. And every time I would think of this friend, I would be affected. I'd be changed. And so we got together and we looked at each other and we said, you know that thing that we've been feeling for six months? That difficulty? Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I, I love you. And I will not preach another sermon until we're okay. 
I'm not going to go to bed tonight. I'm not going to leave this place tonight until we're okay. Are we okay? Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And we both did that, and I'm telling you, the freedom that comes is so beautiful. And maybe some of you need to set an appointment just like that and entrust yourself to the one who judges justly rather than fighting for your rights. Will we draw a really big circle to include everyone in this love? Let's gather our hearts and pray. Jesus, the one who said to us, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, is the one who empowers us to live this way. Lord, today I pray for us, every single one of us as a congregation, that this kind of non-retaliating love would be the norm for us. That this life where we don't always have to win would be the norm for us. That we would realize that Jesus lost temporarily so that He might win eternally. Lord, help us to, to sign up for that kind of life ourselves. I pray for every single person here today who needs to have a conversation like this. That you would grace them and give them courage to pursue their enemy. To pursue the one who maybe has offended them or whom they have offended. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to turn the other cheek when we are struck. I pray that you would give us the grace to give when someone asks us for something. I pray that you would give us the grace to go the second mile.